Let's go on a journey, I'll show you a movie I saw when I was young, now I think it's number one Our tastes are different, sure, but we've grown so mature And good or bad or mediocre, we'll save our judgment till it's over So let's go on a journey, I'll show you a movie Welcome to 51st Films. I'm Steven. And I'm Sylvia. This is the show where we discuss and review a movie one of us has seen and the other one hasn't. Today we're discussing Cabin in the Woods, which was released in 2011, written by Joss Whedon. And Drew Goddard. <laughs> he didn't do it by himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually this is mostly Drew's project from what I could figure out. Oh, really? Yeah. Stars Kristen Connolly, Chris Hemsworth, Anna Hutchins, and Fran Kant. And Jesse Williams. Wow, I know two of those. Two people. out of five. <laughs> it's not bad. Okay, well, I've seen this movie before, and Sylvia hasn't. What was your like uh, knowledge of this movie before I showed it to you? Uh, well, I sort of thought I knew what it was, because when you said, let's watch Cabin in the Woods, I said, oh yeah, that movie with Sean from Boy Meets World. And that's what I thought it was until we sat down to watch it. And then I was like, that's not this movie. Because I was thinking of Cabin Fever. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't, I mean, I'd heard the name of this movie, but I think I had always conflated it with the other movie. And so I did not know what this movie was about. Yeah, a lot of these, a lot of these horror movies have pretty, like, not succinct titles like Cabin in the Woods, Cabin Fever, The Hills Have Eyes. Like, Last there's... House on the Left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, for Christ's sake, how many, like, haunting of something houses are there? There's, like, at least five. Are there? I'm pretty sure. The I, Haunting of Hill House. I mean, I only know of, like, the, the TV, the, the Netflix shows. I don't know of any, like, actual movies. Are there? Mm -hmm. I mean, probably. Wait, there's one. I can't remember what it's called, though. <laughs> there's also, like, The Haunting of, insert person's name. And, like, it's yeah, a ghost story. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. happens a lot, too. Yeah, yeah um, I... A lot like you did not know what this movie was when I first watched it. Uh, I only watched it like a year or two did ago. You? Oh, okay. I was going to say, you didn't watch it in theaters, did you? No. <laughs> um, actually, my ex showed this one to me. So. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean... Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, she, she's a bit of a horror buff. And, um... Oh, <laughs> I thought you said something else. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, she uh, she liked scary movies. I was about to like be like, hey, write it in. <laughs> <laughs> also, I have no idea who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, no, um, she really liked scary movies. And um, <laughs> it was a genre that uh, I avoided, like, the plague for a very long time because I thought all of those things were spooky scary. And um, it wasn't until she kind of, like, opened my eyes that I realized, like, oh, some they're not... a little goofy. Yeah, some of it's goofy and some of it's, like, interesting, mm -hmm. you know? You know, I always had this problem, okay... I mm -hmm. love quote unquote scary movies. Like they're never actually scary to me. I don't think that they're actually intended to. I don't know. I don't get scared of scary movies. I think they're good. Uh, I have a really hard time getting people to go to the movies with me if I want to watch a scary movie. Nobody wants to go. <laughs> I have a cousin uh, who goes to the outdoor movie theater with me sometimes, um, and they have like movie nights there. They're like themed, and in like October they have like a 
like horror spooky movie and like I want to go so bad she refuses to go because that stuff scares the shit out of her like she wouldn't <laughs> even watch American Horror Story with me when I was watching it on Netflix yeah so I, I mean that's fair I'm hoping once COVID's gone uh we'll actually be able to get to go to the movies I'd love to go to like some spooky movies with you Mm-hmm. nobody else will go with me <laughs> yeah i'd be down for that i think like maybe going to the theater is like it has that extra dimension because you get out and it's nighttime mm-hmm. and you like gotta make it home you know and you're just <laughs> yeah. thinking about like all the spooky shit you just saw <laughs> plus like back in the day whenever i would try to get people i was only to to go to movies with me we'd have to drive an hour through like the middle of oh my god nowhere. yeah no thank you <laughs> I mean, I had a similar situation. The closest movie theater was like 30 minutes, but it was all like mostly city. Yeah. Ours, we live an hour away from literally every town ever. So, yeah. All right. Well, I have some interesting trivia for this movie, (laughs) some of which I think you'll get a kick out of because I sure as hell did. There's a scene early on in the movie where uh, there's this character who is like kind of a pothead and he has this... uh, this bong but it's in the shape of like a thermal coffee mug and like it, it collapses into a thermal mug so yeah. it's like travelable like you can travel with it it's pretty cool it's like a telescoping mm-hmm. coffee mug it's a, it's a secret stash slash bong yeah and i remember when we were watching that you were like there's no fucking way that actually works right well guess what sylvia somebody designed it it's real they made it for this movie it's so, real listen I believe that it telescopes. I don't believe it functions as a bomb. Oh, it does. What? It does, yeah. It costs $5,000 to make it, but it is functional. You can do both things with it. You can use it as a thermal mm-hmm. and you can use it as a bong. Interesting. I have a comment about that bong later when we're, <laughs> we're going to get into talking about the movie. Okay. Yeah. Um. So what's your next mm-hmm. trivia fact? <laughs> All right. Um, well, I just realized a couple of these. Well, they're not. they're not like super spoily, but... Um, so this one has a scene where uh, the kids are like playing truth or dare, and yeah. one of them asks one of them to make out with like a wolf head that's mounted on the wall. Yeah. The prop team did something kind of interesting for that. Instead of you know just leaving it as like a mannequin wolf, uh, put powdered sugar on the tongue, and the effect is that it made it look kind of dusty, so it looked okay, and it also made it like bearable for the actress. Because she had to, like, get up on it. Can you imagine? <laughs> like, I don't know who that actress is. I didn't recognize her from anything. Anna but, like, Hutchinson. Yeah, I don't apparently. know. But, uh, it's like, how... Okay, so, like, when I heard this was written by Joss Whedon, I was kind of like... Yeah, I know. You, you saw his name and you said, oh, boy, here we go. Yeah, because, like, <laughs> he's, like, 90s woke, but not really woke. <laughs> Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, he... Doesn't know how to really write women. Like, he thinks he does, but he doesn't. That's fair. And uh, that scene didn't bother me that much because I understand that it's sort of, like, satirizing, like, actual horror movies. And, like, that's kind of the shit that happens in horror movies uh, to the hot girl, the whore, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. Uh, but <laughs> it was just so... I don't know. That scene, her making out with a wolf head, I was just like, yeah, this is written by Joss Whedon. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, next fact, during the lake scene, the only student who didn't jump in a lake was Marty, the, the pothead. Right. right, yeah. Um, and I noticed when we were watching, like, pretty much all of his, uh, clothes, he's, like, mm-hmm. really baggy. 
The reason he doesn't get into the lake and the reason he's dressed that way is because the actor was actually, like, more ripped than Chris Hemsworth. Wait a minute. At the time. Wait a minute. You told me this trivia fact a long time ago. I didn't know it was about this movie, though. Oh, did I? Yeah. Oh, well, I, I distinctly remember, that. remember. I remember because I was like, "That's a really funny, funny thing." <laughs> so that guy's more ripped than Chris at the time. Okay, so here's the thing: this he is was pre-Thor. Yes, um, he he becomes Thor in like a year or two after this comes out. Yeah. So, side note: like, <laughs> I hope everybody knows that all of those actors that are in those Marvel movies, a they have personal trainers, etc., but they're all also taking steroids. Like, it is a thing. I didn't know that. You didn't? No. Um, there's something you might want to look up later. It's like, it's the hairlines of men who take steroids because it's a testosterone. Uh, so if you look at some of them, you'll see that they, like, when they started those movies, suddenly they started to get dramatically, like, uh, like almost like Widow's Peak style because that's steroid thing. Nobody can gain muscle mass that quickly and keep it on. And a lot of them, when they're not filming the movies, it just goes away because... Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I just think that that's a weird body standard thing. I just hope people realize that that's not like real in any way. Yeah. Um, one more, one more fun fact about that. Uh, Fran Krantz, who was the actor, mm-hmm. um, the writers described him as a ripped, like muscular Jesus. I was gonna say, <laughs> if he's real muscular, he must have like zero body fat because he's like gangly like he's not yeah the baggy like, clothes look a little awkward on him and knowing this it makes a little more sense i said he's built pretty uh like he's slim built like i would never have yeah. guessed that he was super cut yeah but um for plot reasons we'll get into later showing <laughs> him as more muscular than chris hemsworth would have kind of gone against what they were trying to go for oh, so I have, I have, <laughs> that might have actually worked in their favor but we'll talk about that later uh next fact drew goddard director and writer he was asking in an interview if this movie was supposed to be, like, an end-all, be-all essay kind of thing. Because, like, you know, this movie, like, subverts a lot of horror tropes, and it, like, just straight-up calls them out. It feels, and... it feels a lot like a freshman uh, film <laughs> essay, honestly. <laughs> it does a little bit. <laughs> um, his answer, and I'm just going to quote him directly here. He said, I certainly hope and I do not believe the genre will ever die. That was not our intent. It was more of celebrating the genre and why we need it. It was never, let's make fun of the genre. It was more interesting to comment on why we create these mythologies, not just in horror, and stories. Why do we need to feel the need to scare ourselves? It seems counterintuitive. That's what got at the soul of this movie, and we never wanted to say something definitive. Uh, that's a little navel-gazy for me. <laughs> like, he really, that seems, <laughs> I don't know. What he's, do you mean by navel gazy? Like, he's sort of self-congratulatory, like, I created a like <laughs> it's okay guy like it's it's good but like it's clever it's clever you wrote it in three days and we can tell but like mm-hmm. it's <laughs> yeah that was another fact it's not on my list but yeah him and joss whedon like just got a hotel room and just banged this out in three days do you have any other trivia facts because i have one that i just stumbled across while looking things up i have one more okay um so the beginning of this movie starts out with like it's like a government facility looking <laughs> yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, it definitely looks like a government facility, yeah. Yeah, and um, the reason that that whole, like, area exists, mm-hmm. um, Drew Goddard's inspiration for the movie came from his own upbringing in Los Alamos, New Mexico, 
which is a place filled with scientists and co-workers all going about their business and leaving similar, seemingly routine and ordinary lives, even though that they're building nuclear weapons. You know what I was going to say? It reminded <laughs> me of? Mm-hmm. Um, I watched the Chernobyl show on HBO Max, and it really gave me that, like, 80s, like, underground bunker science, like, vibes. It's actually what I thought it was in the yeah, beginning. Yeah, me too. Especially when they were talking about, like, what all the other countries are doing. Yeah, and... yeah, yeah, for sure. Yep. Um, so I do have one minor trivia fact. It's not really trivia because I didn't really dig into it. Um, but you know how you said that Drew Goddard said he was inspired, etc. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whatever. Um, there was actually a pretty big lawsuit because there's a book that is very similar to the movie. And uh, the guy that wrote it claimed that they stole his story idea. And oh. it was a big lawsuit. The lawsuit was eventually dropped, which I don't know if that means that they kind of settled out of court or what. Because I, I didn't research it. But if you wrote a movie in three days, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Maybe there's something to that. Maybe not. Maybe it's just somebody who's fairly litigious. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to say. But I didn't find that. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess now we're going to go ahead and do the synopsis and talk about some things in the movie. The movie starts out, like you said, in this like underground, and I assume it's underground. It feels underground. Like, yeah, for sure. Scientific research and development, like bunkers type huge complex, right? And they're like riding around on these little golf carts, presumably like through the hallways underground. And I assumed they were scientists um, working on some kind of either biological or cybernetic or nuclear weapon, all, right? All technically true. Ah! Sort of. Sort of. <laughs> anyway. anyway. Then, and whenever they, uh, basically you get introduced to these two characters who are riding around on this golf cart, like, uh, doing their job, talking to people as they go by, etc. Uh, so they're two, they look like, like 50 style, like FBI guys, like they're white t-shirts, black ties, black pants. Um, mm-hmm. they're played by... Bradley Whitford, who's from the West Wing, plays one of them, and the other one is Richard Jenkins. So I was like, why is this guy so familiar? We've been watching Six Feet Under, and he's the dad, the dead dad on Six Feet Under. Mm-hmm. So they're the two main characters in this in the facility, okay? Right. So they're talking about, like, hey, so, like, Stockholm failed, and their only competition is Japan. So I'm like, yeah, nuclear bombs, right? I thought it was either, when I first watched it, I thought either nuclear bombs or, like, space war. But, like, I, I couldn't figure out. I also thought maybe they were working on a bioweapon, like a like a disease that will wipe out a whole country if, you know. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> Imagine if that happened. <laughs> anyway. So, anyway, that's basically just, that's real quick. This whole movie goes by really fast, by the way, too. Like, oh, yeah. It gets, de- it gets into it immediately. So, like, they're just talking. You think, oh, okay, there's these government guys. And then it immediately cuts to... I said, oh, look, it's the obligatory girl getting ready for her day just walking around in her underwear scene that's in every horror movie and teen movie that everyone's ever get that. You gotta get that sex appeal just right there. Yeah, but she was wearing a shirt mm-hmm. and underwear, so that's how we know she's the innocent virgin character. <laughs> of course, of If course. she was a slut, she would have been wearing a bra and underwear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway. Well, I mean... That's how she's portrayed, but then we also learn in that very same scene that she's fucking her professor. Right, I know that. I'm just saying, like, it's framed the way it's always framed in those movies. Yeah, it's true, yeah. Um, so I wrote the ridiculous title card, cut to Not Another Teen Movie, Girls Dancing in Her Underwear to Indie Music. Um, she's a walking teen college 
stereotype. She's in an inappropriate relationship with her professor, but that just ended, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, and her best friend is the bit blonde bimbo, although she just dyed her hair blonde for some reason. <laughs> she uh, made a change. Yeah. By the way, like... I guess this really shouldn't have been my first thought, but, like, do you know how hard it is to go from brunette to that kind of blonde? Oh, impossible. It's you possible. Need, you need to, like, bleach and... It's possible, yeah. but you have to do it, like, in gradual increments. You have to... And you can't do it, like, all at once or your hair will fall out. Like, it's difficult. And if you have any color on your hair at all already, you're screwed. Um, and she did it, like, overnight, and it looks professionally done. Okay. Yeah, and so you're introduced basically to the whole cast of characters at this point. So, except for Marty, but yeah. Well, Marty pops in like two minutes later. <laughs> so, like, we have Dana, who is the she seems like the main character at this point, right? Mm-hmm. She seems like the center of it. Um, her little blonde friend's like, "Oh, girl, forget about the professor. We're gonna hook you up with somebody this weekend when we go to the lake." And she's like, "Oh no, oh no, I have feelings or whatever." So. Um, and then pops in Chris Hemsworth, and he's like, obvious jock, but then he, he walks over to her bookshelf and he picks up a philosophy book, and he's like, oh, don't read this one, it's pretty basic, and he, and he gives her a different philosophy book to read, because he's a smart boy. <laughs> also, I don't know if this was the case for you, but uh, when I went to school, the jocks were the smart kids, too. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> that is how it was at my school, too, and I think it's a small school thing. Oh, you think so? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because they're the only ones that anyone cares about. And, like, if you're tiny school, like, I'm sorry, we live in rural Arkansas. We lived in rural Arkansas. Like, mm-hmm. we didn't, we couldn't boast, like, academics. <laughs> there was nothing <laughs> there. So, like, they primarily focused on, like, basketball and stuff. But since those kids got all the attention and everything, they just also happened to be the ones that did better in school. I I feel really weird saying this, but I was the exception. <laughs> like <laughs> You're not like other students. So like I was the only person in my advanced classes who didn't play basketball. Mm-hmm. So everybody else did. That's kinda how I was too, to be honest. I was like the only one not in sports. I was in band though. Also there was this weird like division in my school, like the kids who didn't play were like the burnout mm-hmm. quote unquote losers and they made bad grades in school. And they hated the basketball players. Yeah. And the basketball players, they didn't have as much vitriol directed towards them, but they just kind of, like, didn't acknowledge anyone that didn't play basketball. Typically, I was friends with some of them because, literally, I had all my classes with them. Like, I couldn't... I would have been, like, completely socially rejected if I didn't at least talk to them some. Um, But, yeah, I I think that's how I came out of high school, having, like, nobody that I considered a real friend. (laughs) I just remember... um being a little bit jaded when I was like in middle school because I remember thinking like all oh, these these jocks well at least they're stupid at least they're not gonna have like you know a good future and then lo and behold they Talk got better about, grades than me. Talk about peaking in high school oh you got into to Duke uh, okay <laughs> and you're the captain of the basketball team anyway we're introduced to them and then pops in I don't know uh intellectual love interest is what I like to call them I don't know what he was called like in the movie because they called them by their stereotypes a lot um he was called the scholar the scholar okay yeah intellectual softly love interest is yes, what yes. i view him as he's played by jesse williams who i was like wait i know him i know him uh he was on grace anatomy and he's been very vocal uh on twitter about like social justice issues and stuff like that i think he's kind of a cool guy right on 
Um, I don't know. I'm really hoping there wasn't like some awful scandal that I somehow missed, and now everything <laughs> that I said just needs to be like revoked. But <laughs> maybe I'll look it up later. I'll do some research, and <laughs> if we need to do it, we'll cut that part. <laughs> I got you. Um. Anyway, he plays the soft boy. So we've got the virginal, quote unquote, virginal, because she's not a virgin, innocent mm-hmm. girl, the bubbly blonde bimbo, the scholar, and the jock, and then they're all going outside to like get ready to go to the lake because they're they're, going to the lake for the weekend they're packing up the rv and then they meet up with their uh their last friend marty who pulls up in his car and he's got his uh his travel bong and yeah he's he's just great from the very beginning yeah honestly i I did write down one line of dialogue that i thought was kind of funny from this scene and it's the blonde girl trying to convince the other girl like they're gonna have fun she's like we have a lake and a cake no more learning and i was like what (laughs) First of all, I didn't see no goddamn cake. Me neither. Throughout that whole movie, <laughs> I feel like I was lied to. Maybe she was talking about ass. Oh, uh, that makes sense. Doubtful. That was 2011. I don't think so. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But yeah, so the the pothead rolls up and he's hotboxing in his car, which I've known. I would I would say, oh, what a silly stereotype. I know people who've done that. I yeah. know people who hotbox. So. For sure. Um, he gets out of his car. He's using this his travel mug as a bong but it's like two and a half feet long i mean maybe that's exaggerating but it's really long and tall it's, it's pretty be- pretty accurate about that size and they're like yeah yeah that's not obvious at all man nobody will know that's a bong and he's like oh yeah and he like slaps the bottom of it and it pops back up and it looks just like a regular mug and they're like okay <laughs> <laughs> and i was like Either he's supposed to be, like, an engineering student or something, or this is just the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I can see an engineering student coming up with something like that, though. Oh, I have one more bit. Um, it wasn't trivia, necessarily. It was just something I, I found in my research. Mm-hmm. Marty parks his car, and he leaves the window rolled down, oh, yeah. but he locks oh, it. Oh, yeah, I forgot and, about that. Like, he, he goes out of his way to lock it, yeah. even though the window's clearly, like, rolled down. Yeah. And um, apparently that's something that uh, Goddard used to do as a teen. Why? So that's like a reference he threw in for himself. Why? I don't know. Because he was high? He didn't realize that it's stupid? Or like... <laughs> I don't know. I think he just thought it was quirky. <laughs> you know? So anyway, this is our, our group. This is our little ragtag bunch or whatever. Mm-hmm. They all, the Faded Five. Yeah, they all get in this like big van that they're all... It's an RV. Ride. It's an RV? Okay. Yeah. So they all get in the RV and they take off. Uh, the ragtag group stops at this weird podunk fucking gas station mm-hmm. and they like are walking around and it's creepy and it's like you know what it really reminded me of what it reminded me of like a scene under like the hills have eyes yeah because it felt like a real like uh deliverance rapey like <laughs> just all this stuff is everywhere and there's weird like things on the walls of this gas station and you can't find the guy that's like supposed to be there manning it and then he pops up out of nowhere and he's like what the fuck are you doing or whatever it kind of reminded me of a of the gas station scene in Life is Strange too. Yeah, just like a little less. Uh, well, this one's more dark. Yeah. I suppose. But he he like kind of like tries to scare him off, and he won't let him get gas. But they get gas anyway, and like the jock throws the money at him, which would... he he throws the money at him because he calls his girlfriend a whore. To yeah. be fair. But they go get gas or whatever. But he, the thing he says to them, what does he say? Like sinners will be punished or. 
something like yeah, yeah. He, he does like some real like you know fire and brimstone bullshit to these people you know like you will deserve your upcomings you know like yeah. yeah and chris hemsworth is just walking around with a football for no fucking reason <laughs> like he's just holding this football because you can't forget that he's the jock right of course and it's all like you find out later it's pretty calculated like they've been drugged to act like these stereotypes I so see. I don't know. He says something. He does say something about sin and like being punished. And anyway, so they they completely ignore this warning, which I guess is a thing that happens in horror movies a lot. Yeah. Um, but they drive up to the cabin, and then it cuts to the bunker again, and we see that this cabin is like cammed up. Like there's surveillance cameras in literally every single room. Uh, and the two guys, Bradley Whitford and the other dude, I can't remember his name. <laughs> he they're watching him, and he's like, yeah. Um, maybe we should crank up, you know, this and, and, and increase the libido. And the girl's like, well, we already put um, chemicals in the hair dye so she would act different. And it's like, wait, what? What's happening here? <laughs> yeah, so you start to get the sense that, like, this has all been, like, a very elaborate setup. Um, so they talk about dyeing, like, adding chemicals to that one girl's uh, dye so that she gets a little stupider. I guess so. Well, stupid is not a word, but she's a, she she <laughs> becomes bimbofied. Yeah, bimbofied, and, <laughs> and she um, also. But they're like, well, I don't think she's horny enough. So like, gotta gotta up those horny chemicals. Yeah, and then they get a phone call, and it turns out that it's the guy from the gas station yeah. who they refer to as the harbinger. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Mm-hmm. I like. I love. I don't know. I really like that the, they give them all these like character archetype names. Yeah. He's the harbinger. And he's like, he's still the harbinger though. Like he doesn't break character. He's, he's that guy who, like, uh, whenever you're playing D and D, he refuses to break character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even yeah. when you're doing tabletop. Yeah, and uh, Bradley <laughs> Whitford, and I'm just gonna call him Nathaniel Fisher. I can't remember his name. <laughs> uh, Bradley and Nathaniel have him on speaker in front of everybody, and he's just talking crazy, and they're all like trying not to laugh, and he's like, "Oh, I told them that they were gonna see blood." Like he's just being so dramatic, and he goes, "Do you?" Do you, do you have me on speaker? That's kind of rude. And then they all laugh at him. And then <laughs> there's like a bit where they pretend to take him off speaker and he continues his rant. And then he pauses again. He's like, you didn't take me off speaker, did you? And he's you like, motherfucker. <laughs> and he fucking hangs up. losers. <laughs> he hangs up on him. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we find out um, after, you know, that good goof that the Harbinger is sort of like a checkpoint because once the... Uh, uh, they have a choice at that point still. Like, they could have turned yeah. around and it would have been okay. Yeah. But they didn't. They're so. like, but we tried to give them an out, essentially. Mm-hmm. And they didn't take it. But then Nathaniel Fisher, I can't remember his name, he <laughs> says, well, as long as they don't do anything they're not supposed to, up here, they'll be fine. But, you know, he knows they're going to, like, you know, go places they're not and do things they're not supposed to. So he knows they're not going to be fine. Right. Um. So... This is actually, uh, we are first, this is the first time we're given that, um, their personalities have been altered a little bit, but I think there were hints earlier because Chris Hemsworth is the doc, but he's actually like a brilliant, like philosopher or whatever. Mm -hmm. And even the pothead, he's quote unquote, they call him the fool. He's obviously brilliantly minded and engineered. He made that fucking bong. Like, yeah, he's like, he's like a little too woke. Yeah. And like they, they play it off as a joke, but like he's not. 
wrong. He's not wrong, yeah. exactly. He's a little bit of a conspiracy theorist. And mm-hmm. it comes off as like, oh, he's just a paranoid pothead. But then you think, well, he's not wrong. Yeah, they also want to pass off the uh, main character. What's her name, Dawn? Yeah, they want Dana. Her Dana. name's Dana. They yeah. want her to be the virgin. But, like, she clearly wasn't. She was in a relationship with a professor, but suddenly she's become more, like, prim and, like... And, like, even, like, she... Like, she can feel tell that it kind of feels a little wrong that she's so, like... What's the word? Not conservative. Uh... Just like Modest? prudish, prudish. Like suddenly she's a little prudish, and like you can see her kind of like be like, "Why am I? Wait, okay, <laughs> I, I'm not really this much of a prude, but she doesn't say anything like that." But you can see it on her face. Um, so that's interesting because it's only a hint that we're given that their personalities are being changed. So I thought that was cool. Uh, so the lab department, they cut back to them. Um, after they look at this, all this stuff that's going on in the lab department, they have like this big gathering that they're getting on. And they have this giant whiteboard in the background and everybody's taking bets and stuff. And this is kind of the first scene where I was like, maybe this is not a government organization. <laughs> and then one of the, the Nathaniel Fisher guy, he pulls a fucking pentagram necklace out of his shirt and like kisses it for good luck. And I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, and you find out that on the on the whiteboard, and you can pause it and read it, and uh-huh. I, I strongly recommend you do, because there's some funny shit on there. Yeah, I actually put in my notes, let's take a moment to appreciate this list yes. of creatures. So the, the whiteboard has all the things that they're taking bets on, and they're trying to bet... They don't, it's not really clear what they're betting on, but they're like, we're going to bet on which one is going to happen. And you look at this whiteboard... And it has all these, like, stereotypical, like, horror movie creatures, like werewolves and zombies and et cetera. But I thought it was really funny because there was also things like snowman, sugar pump fairy, <laughs> mm-hmm. dragon bat. Like, um, and what was one of, do you remember the ones that you pointed out? Because you thought some of them were really funny. Oh, one of them was, like, somebody the molester. Or, or <laughs> like, 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 it was somebody's name and, like, the molester. Yeah. yeah, and it's really funny if you look closely, like, the ones that have votes, or the ones that have bets on them, and the ones that don't, because <laughs> Sugar Plum Fairy had more bets than some of the more plausible horror movie creatures, yep. which I think was funny. A merman was on there. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so after that, you're like, okay, so this is clearly some, like, supernatural weird group. Maybe it's a cult. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I forgot to mention, we were kind of... They briefly hinted at what was going on earlier as the group was driving through the hills. You see them go through this tunnel, and, like, there's a brief flash on the screen in the sky, so you can see there's kind of, like, a force field Mm -hmm. around this wooded area. No, it's a bird, what happens. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, so, like, the cast disappears for a brief moment because they're in this, like, rock tunnel, and we can't see them, but it continues to pan. And um, then there's this bird that flies by, and it just nails this, like, invisible barrier and just falls. Yeah, so you can see there's, like, some kind of, like, electrical, like, weird barrier um, around this, like, giant, like, forest that they're driving deeper into. Mm-hmm. And so that's, like, that 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 moment I was like, so it is the government? Like, <laughs> and then we saw this thing, him kissing the pentagram and then taking bets, and I was like, oh, it's, like, a weird, like cult like is this the illuminati like what is this <laughs> mm. um so they cut back to the group in the cabin after we basically get a hint at what is really going on and um so there's this weird scene with a two-way two-way mirror uh 
the scholar, a.k.a. the softboy lover interest, mm-hmm. he settles into his room and he sees this disgusting picture on the wall of, like, this creature, like, tearing these goats apart and it's gross. So he, like, goes, ugh, and he takes it off the wall. And what does he find? A two-way mirror with it. He is on the side that you can see through. And who's on the other side of that two-way mirror? Well, of course, the main character. The virgin. Undressing. The quote-unquote virgin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she's starting to undress. And, like, at first he's like, oh, oh, what do I do? And then he's like, oh. Like, he's like, ooh. <laughs> he thinks about it for yeah, a minute. Yeah, and then it's like he snaps out of it. And that, maybe that's another thing. Maybe that's another hint. And, like, that's not his actual personality. Oh, you think so? Yeah, because, like... Because I was trying to think of, like, any sign of him, like, doing something irregular, like all the others, and I couldn't find anything. I think that might be it, because the... Oh, like, that's him finally winning over when he, like, snaps out of it, and he's like, hey, hold up. Or maybe... Because I was thinking the opposite. Oh, okay. So, like, Bradley (laughs) Rayford's like, it's okay, nothing's gonna happen to them unless they do bad stuff, unless unless they do the things they're not supposed to do, and... I kind of, because, like, in horror movies, sexual beings are punished for some reason. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of just thought that if he ogled her and didn't tell her about the two-way mirror, that that, maybe that was, like, maybe that was, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's the opposite. I don't know. Like, it felt like a, like a conflict now that I'm thinking yeah, about it. Yeah, it did. It didn't feel natural. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, I really want to give him the benefit of the doubt because, like, he's not really creepy at any no, other part of the movie. No, and he snaps out of it. He's like, what the? Yeah. But, like, did he snap out of it because he's being controlled and now he's supposed to be softboy love interest? And softboy love interest wouldn't do that? Mm. Or was he always nice and, and the, the chemicals making him extra horny because they pumped horny chemicals into the house? Like... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> anyway. I think that's open, open he's, interpretation. He's out of it, and he, like, tells her, you know, hey, it's a two-way mirror. Just stop undressing. And they switch rooms. And she's like, oh, thank you. I, he goes, I know you feel more comfortable knowing that I can't ogle you or whatever. And uh, she, he goes into the room, and he's, like, intentionally, like, undressing in front of the two-way mirror now, like, trying to be a sexy boy. But not really, but, but kind of. And yeah. so she, like... <sighs> For a second. <laughs> and then, oh, no, no. And puts the, puts the creepy-ass painting back up. And then she's like, what the fuck is this? And then she puts a blanket over it. So, I don't know. The two-way mirror thing, never, like, there's no purpose. It's never explained. I feel like that's a reference to, like, the horror that they find later on. I guess so. <laughs> what did they, they said something about, like, oh, back in the day, they didn't have, and I'm like, back in the day? Like, what yeah, did you he, think? He, he was talking about, like, um, uh, Oh, shit, what's it called when you make whiskey illegally? Um, Moon boot shiners? Bootleggers? No. Bootleggers. Moon shiners? It's bootleggers. Anyway, he, yeah. But I'm like, when do you think two-way mirrors were invented? Like, he just, like, back in the olden days, they didn't... I was like, what? Yeah, I don't It didn't make any sense. I don't know But anyway, that. so um, they said oh, that, that bit of weirdness, like, is resolved almost immediately. He, oh, that's another thing. Actually, that's what I think it really is. I think the mirror is a hint that this um, cabin is not as old as it seems. Yeah. Yeah. Why is it there? Okay, anyway. <laughs> of course, uh, that's resolved, and then it cuts to just them hanging out and being drunk idiots, and they're playing truth or dare, because, like, that that just has to happen, right? Of course. Um, We actually watched a, a teen-ish movie not too long ago, and there was a truth or dare scene in it, so... um, But, basically, they're playing truth or dare, and they're drunk, and... They dare the slut to make out with a taxidermy wolf on the wall, mm-hmm. which she does like a striptease walk up yeah, to yeah. it. Yeah, she does it like with 110% effort. And by the way, I'm not calling her a slut in judgment. 
that's the character trope that they have forced on her. Yeah. So she and then she like tongues this fucking wolf on the wall like after getting a couple good furry jokes in first of course you know <laughs> wait, like wait. come I'll you can come blow my house down oh my god yeah <laughs> I forgot about that. yeah yeah she said all sorts of <laughs> fucked up shit <laughs> anyway she like sticks her tongue down this taxidermied wolf's throat and like everybody's like woo like you know cool and then like they all turn and they're like hey Dana it's your turn and they're like, truth or dare. And I don't know if she says truth or first. I think Chris, she just um, hesitates. Well, what happens is um, uh, Chris Hemsworth, like, kind of negs her. Yes. Yeah, because he says, like, go ahead and pick truth. And she's like, what? Why would I do that? Well, she pauses, too. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, because he negs her and is like, okay. Look, basically, he doesn't say it, but he's like, you're a prude. You're going to pick truth. And so she's like, dare. And then the second she says dare, a fucking <laughs> door in the floor just slams open yeah slabs upward yeah and like yeah <laughs> and fucking chris number is like must oh it must have been the wind <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's clearly like triggered by some kind of mechanism like uh-huh. <laughs> so yeah. it's like so uh, we dare you to go down there and not get scared yeah so obviously those dumb <laughs> drugs are already kicking in a little bit <laughs> yeah yeah so um she goes down the cellar first. She gets spooked and she screams. And so they all come down there and like, you lose. You screamed. Now you gotta take your clothes off. Huh? And she's like, you know, she ignores them. She's like, look at all this stuff down here. Because the, the cellar basement area is like full of like all this bizarre shit. Yep. Like an, the accoutrements of like everything you could, like every life that could have been lived. Every horror movie, like beginning that you can think of it's in this basement yeah there's dolls <laughs> there's uh weird haunted music boxes there's uh, old diaries <laughs> yeah yeah okay so um there's a lot that they don't interact with but we're just gonna like talk about the ones that they all pick and because those are those are relevant yeah and it's all piled up everywhere and it's dusty and what did i say hmm. i said you would have i would be down here for days i want to look at every <laughs> single thing that's down here i want to read through every diary i want to open every box well like, you would have triggered every single well, thing i don't care that's, <laughs> that stuff is so fascinating to me yeah um i took you to my grandparents house before down in that basement yeah it low-key like it reminded, reminded me of, of that of, yeah that basement <laughs> at my grandparents house is spooky um there's like 40 years of whiskey bottles on one wall like <laughs> Yeah, so let's see. Um, the fool is checking out a music box with like a ballerina spinning. Slowly. It's like low and, yeah. slow and creepy. Uh, the jock, uh, Chris Hemsworth, he's playing with like this ball that like twists and it looks like it's got like some kind yeah, of like, code on it. Yeah, it's kind of some kind of like evil puzzle, right? Yeah. The smart soft boy, he picks up a conch and he's like listening to oh, yeah, it. Yeah, he's just about to blow into it. Yeah, and um, I forgot what... Uh, what the slut I was doing, remember. the whore. I don't remember. I can't remember the either. That sounds so wrong. I know. It's I mean, that that's just the role she's playing. I know. And they like they like even do they even refer to them by these character tropes. Like Unfortunately. Character archetypes, I mean, like they say mm-hmm. the whore, the virgin, the jock, the scholar. So like that's why we're referring to it that way. Like I don't necessarily think that her behavior is quote-unquote whorish but anyway yeah so um they're like playing with these things and um you know the music's getting a little intense you can feel like something's about to happen and then of course uh dana 
is the one who actually gets what they what they actually activate, which is yeah, a diary. She's like, hey, look at this diary, and like <laughs> as if on cue, everybody just puts down the things that they were so intensely focused on. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, she opens it, and she's looking at it, and she doesn't. She's like, should I read it? Should I read it? And this voice from nowhere is like, read it. <laughs> she's like, and then it's like, read it out loud. <laughs> And she's like, okay, so she starts reading it out loud. Hold on, I also want to point out that it seems like nobody can hear this except for the uh, except for the pothead who is like Which freaking is, out. Are you sure nobody can hear it? Because like he's the only one who reacts. Well, wouldn't Dana be the one? Maybe he's the only one that reacts because he's not drugged. Or I mean, he's drugged, but like the drugs aren't affecting him like they're supposed. Well, that's to. what I'm saying. Like he's the only one who's like cognizant. Because I think that it's like a trap. I think Dana hears it because she's like she immediately starts reading like. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really funny to me though because uh, it's just like some some silly like tropey bullshit about like she's reading this little girl's diary who she's like they took I can't remember the boy's name but then they took little Johnny to the black room so I know I'm never gonna see him again and uh, maybe maybe Daddy will cut the sin out of me and I'll get to go to heaven just like some weird ass like it's just like Appalachian horror nonsense like it's <laughs> this little girl who's like writing about like how her dad gets drunk and. Mulls and mutilates yeah. them, but because it's to get it's to keep them pure and make sure they go mm-hmm. to heaven. And uh, right. listen to me though, like I wrote down one of the lines because it's the best worst line I've ever heard in a movie. I I hope it's the one I think it is. She's talking about like her dad uh, taking people into the black room and like cutting them up, and she's like cutting of the flesh gives him a husband bulge. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yep. the fucking bulge. husband bulge. So he gets hard. But, like, torturing people gets them hard. Which is funny because when I was reading some things about this movie, uh, one of the things that Joss Whedon and Drew Goddard said was they wanted to make sort of, like, a commentary and satire about um, the movies that were really popular at the time, which were torture porn. Right. Like, Saw. It, it was all, well, it was, Saw was the catalyst, but there was a whole slew of movies that came after it that tried to do that same thing. Like, do you remember the Hostel movies? No, actually. They're like Saw on a budget. Hmm. So they were popular too. There was like two or three sequels to those. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting. It's like cutting people up gives them a boner. Like, so. <laughs> a husband's bulge. Let's be modest. Yeah. And so, like. um... So we cut back to the. Uh... Well, no, hold on. Huh? She's no? still reading the diary. And oh, there's that's like, right. That's there's right. There's like Latin in the diary for some reason. And so she starts reading it. And uh, it's essentially like an incantation. And when she finishes the the incantation, it cuts to like these hands shooting up out of the ground because like she apparently awoken some zombies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but she doesn't know that because they're in the house, so she just shuts the book. And I guess they would go on with their lives because we get cut to another scene at the old facility with the cult slash government agency right and everybody's cheering uh well actually a lot of people are pissed because their bet didn't pay out yeah <laughs> so they they're on the board it's the uh the the redneck redneck uh, torture zombies redneck torture zombies family yeah yeah and somebody comes up to uh to nate fisher <laughs> and says uh Hey, I mean, I voted for zombies. Isn't that what this is? And he's like, uh, uh, uh. Look, there's zombies, and then there's redneck torture zombies. That's what got it. Sorry. You don't get any money. Yeah. And he's like, I'm so pissed that it wasn't a merman. <laughs> and like, he refers to this merman so many times. 
Oh, he wanted the merman so bad. He wanted so it bad. so bad. He's like, I've been waiting for years. They never picked the merman. And he goes, it was so close. He had the conch right there. He was about to blow on it. <laughs> and his buddy's like, I know, man. Next year. Next year. <laughs> <laughs> have we um, have we seen what's going on in Japan yet? Not yet. I don't have it in my notes yet. They just mention it. Like, they mention Japan. Okay. They might have flashed briefly to it. But basically, uh, they have, like, a, a character straight out of the ring, like, hovering in a classroom with a bunch of Japanese schoolgirls. Yeah, like, and just briefly. They yeah. just briefly cut to it. And, like, they're screaming and trying to get out of the classroom, and it's locked. And, yeah. Uh, so, like, there's this implication that um, they were talking about, like, all these other facilities around the mm-hmm. world, and they're all doing the same thing. They're all, like, fabricating these, like, horror plot scenarios for some reason that has yet to be revealed. And for some reason, Japan and America are, like, the only ones still going at it, which I think is interesting because I'm pretty sure that those like two countries are the only ones who really do like successful horror nowadays. I guess I might be wrong about that. Well, I, you know what I thought when I saw that, um, I was like, oh, so is this movie trying to like postulate that we ha- there's some in universe like if the universes where horror movies exist are real? So say like the Ring, say that universe is a real place. Mm-hmm. There's a reason that the people who populate those movies do things that don't make sense. Like, when they're running from something that's trying to kill them, they run upstairs instead of downstairs. (laughs) Or when there's a vehicle and it has a flat tire, instead of just fucking driving it anyway and getting the fuck away, they get out of the vehicle and run. I was like, oh, okay, this makes sense. This, like, this is a commentary on how illogical characters in horror movies are. Yeah. Um, Which which is kind of neat because, like, this movie acts as, like, a vehicle for, like, every shitty horror movie because it's like, oh, those were just failed experiments. Yeah, yes. <laughs> You know? <laughs> yeah, or they were successful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, question mark. Um, basically, the there's a bunch of people in this facility and they're all kind of, like, celebrating and, and milling around like it's a big party while they're watching these people at this place that are about to get fucking wrecked by zombies. Um, mm-hmm. And then you get you cut back to the to the co- group of college students, right? And the jock and the quote-unquote whore decide that they're going to just take off in the woods because they're horny. And, like, even though they're bedrooms, they're going to go fuck in the woods. Yeah. Oh, man. I really wish that they would have cut to the facility to explain that brilliant choice, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, it didn't make any sense. They're just overcome with, like, sex pheromones, I guess. Yeah, so they so they go outside, and um, we do see the facility again, because now they're kind of micromanaging the situation. Yes. Because they, um, like, they're trying to find a good place to fuck, and the girl says, and like, it's go... too cold. Yeah. So he's like, turn up the air conditioning. So... Yeah, so, so they, like, they take the thermostat, and they turn it from, like, 65 to, like, 72. Mm-hmm. The, the thermostat that's, I guess, connected to nature. I don't know. <laughs> I um, mean, I'm assuming it's, like, a big dome, judging by the well, force field. I don't know that, because, like, there's a supernatural element involved, too. Yeah, true. Um, but it's funny, too, because they're, like, she's, like, oh, it's, it's what she said, it's too dark. And so suddenly the moonlight breaks through, or I don't yeah. remember what she says. Well, well, what happens is um, they, they pump pheromones into the into the floor, and it looks like fog. Mm-hmm. Um, and while they're doing that, they, like, highlight this one, like, nice mossy patch. Yeah. With moonlight to show them, like, right here. Yeah, and yeah. They, <laughs> they really need them to fuck, because it's, like, the attack that's obviously going to happen 
cannot happen until they have sex. Right. It's part of the contract, which um, we'll talk about here in and a minute. Literally, as I was, because I didn't really fully know what was going on at this point, because I was like, what the hell? And I just thought it was like just being like absurdly tropey, like on purpose. Um, and, well, yes, but well, actually. But not, <laughs> not in the way that it was. Like, I thought it was just like, like a funny commentary on how tropey they are. Ah. But uh, so I wrote sex equals death when I was watching this thing. Because like, it's so many horror movies. Have you ever seen Scream? Yes. So like, that's the whole premise of Scream. Like, there are these kids that are like reenacting a horror movie, like with the tropes. And they won't kill the girl until she fucks the guy and she's no longer a virgin. Which is slightly different, but like in horror movies, sex equals death. You have sex, you get killed. And so I knew that the bimba was going to be the first one to die. As a matter of fact, I made a game of trying to guess the order in which they were going to die. It was fun. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, they they start fucking and like the zombie comes up and just like stabs uh the jock through the back but he doesn't die and he... well first they stab her like they, they pin her to the ground by her hand by her hand yeah yeah and he gets up and like tries to help but he's outnumbered yeah and they stab him in the back and then they attack her and like full-on like kill her and decapitate her right but but the the like pacing of this is interesting because they have the jock like hold up like with two or three people mm-hmm. and uh it looks like they're gonna take him out first but like they get uh, his lady friend up first and then they like really dramatically put a saw over her neck and just cut her head right off. Yeah. So like It's like real slasher. It would have been more efficient to kill him first but they don't. They can't because the whore dies first. Right. (laughs) (laughs) She has to be punished. Of course. Oh god. Anyway uh, so like he runs back to the house but like the people in the house don't know what's going on and uh, the little virgin girl and the scholar they're having this like awkward conversation they're talking about the latin in the book and he he translates it roughly um like it's basically just saying like um pain is born from flesh or from sins of the flesh yes that's it and uh so they're having this conversation and pothead guy's like oh uh, i'm gonna leave you two and your husband bulge alone i gotta get out of here (laughs) and so he's like i'm gonna go look at some books with pictures this place is creeping me out and so he leaves them alone and he goes to the bedroom and he, he lays on the bed and he's reading like this book which when i saw the book i was like no fucking way the book that he was reading is a book called uh, little nemo adventures in slumber slumberland mm-hmm. um, i had no idea that it was a book i think that it was based on the movie that came out in the 90s um so it's like a i would say it's like a, a studio ghibli movie if if studio ghibli like were a little worse like, mm-hmm. I don't know what production studio did it. It's Japanese animation. Um, but it's about this little boy who... Let me... I wrote down what it was because I was like, what the fuck? Um, so, it's about this little boy. His name is Nemo, which is why it's called Little Nemo. And it says, each night, young Nemo goes to Slumberland and has adventures and befriends the king of Slumberland, Morpheus. But one night, little Nemo discovers Nightmare Land and the evil Nightmare King, throwing Slumberland and Nemo himself into danger. And that movie apparently my aunt bought it for me when i was like five and my mom told me that it was my favorite movie ever because i asked to watch it constantly like apparently i was hyper fixated on it it scared the shit out of me steven (laughs) i have no idea why i wanted i asked my mom to watch all the time i didn't know what slumber meant so i didn't know that this was like dreams this kid gets like kidnapped in the middle of the night and has to go fight like an evil clown and like 
it's just a creepy ass fucking movie and apparently a book. Um, but anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting that that's what he was reading. <laughs> okay. But anyway, this is just another thing where like Marty gets out of bed and he's like sort of just more aware of like the awkward weirdness, and he starts messing around in the room and he finds a, like a recording device, like a mic. And he's like, oh, my God, I knew it. I knew something fucking weird was going on. He finds a camera. Yeah, a yeah. camera. Okay. Yeah. And um, so, basically, the people at the facility are like, oh, fuck. Like, hurry, hurry. And what did I say when Marty first appeared in the movie, like, 20 minutes earlier? I was like, he's going to be the second one to die. <laughs> yeah, you did I literally that. called it. I said, he's the comic relief. They always die second. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're the ones who's like, oh, this is serious now. It's no longer funny. Yeah, it's no longer. <laughs> yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah, so, like, he's trying to figure it out. They're trying to figure out, like, a way to punish him. They're thinking about, like, pumping drugs in there. They're also like, what the fuck? Why aren't these drugs working on him? Yeah. Is it because he's, so, he's so high? Is it because he's smoking so much weed? Fun fact, weed does that. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, if you go to the dentist, they're going to have to give you way more shots if you smoke weed all the time. Uh, also, don't ever go into surgery and not tell them you've smoked pot because your anesthesia won't fucking work. Right. Yeah, so anyway, I thought that was interesting. <laughs> yeah, so they're they're freaking out, trying to figure out what to do, and they're like, hold on, hold on, the, the redneck zombie's got us. And um, he, he leans up against the window, and they, like, grab him from outside, breaking the window, and mm-hmm. pull him out. Pull him out. Yeah. Drag him down into the woods. He fights him off for a little while, but ultimately it looks like he got murdered this yeah, shit out of him. Yeah, you see him get pulled over a hill, and then, like, a blood splat and a yell, and that's it. Yeah. Oh, also, every time somebody dies, it cuts to this weird temple scene where, like, blood starts to fill up. A, oh, yeah. Uh, like a... A giant stone bowl looking Yeah, the, thing. the people in the facility, they pull a lever and then a like some blood like pours into a uh into like these carvings. Yeah, well it, yeah. it's a big pool and then they like release it into like the little crevices of these carvings to fill them out. By the way, I have something to say about these carvings later, but anyway. <laughs> um so you think you think Marty the pothead is dead. It moves on, um, and the awkward couple is still sitting in the living room talking, but then the jock bursts open all bloody and, like, beat the fuck up, being like, there's zombies, there's zombies, and so, like, they're like, oh, my God, and then, like, I guess zombies start, like, banging on the windows, and, like, they get in the house. Yeah, um, they throw the decapitated head at, uh, Dana. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh. <laughs> She's like, no, you're crazy. What are you talking about? She's not dead. And then they throw, they throw the the hose, uh, decapitated head at her. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, so I have it. Also, this scene, they also say the the lab workers are like, oh no, the Japanese experiment failed. And it cuts to all the little Japanese school schoolgirls standing in a big circle, holding hands, singing a very soft song, and putting flowers in a bowl <laughs> in front of them. And like this demon ghost is like above them. And, like, they destroy the demon ghosts with kindness and friendship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so they're like, humanity's going to be destroyed because we couldn't, like, finish the ritual, which I think is the first time they call it a ritual. They do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know a lot of Japanese, but I know, like, a couple words. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, like, I think, like, the last thing they say is, like, let's go home together. Like, they say, okari macho or oh, something. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's cute. Yeah. Um, so after that, like, there's just, you know, some running scenes or whatever. They're not very interesting. They're getting chased by zombies. Um, but Dana, the Virgin, and I can't remember the, the scholar, Jesse Williams, whoever he plays, <laughs> uh-huh. they escape 
along with the jock, and they all run out to the RV, and they're going to get the fuck out of Dodge, right? It's the first logical decision they've made in the whole movie. And they get in it, and they're, like, zooming, and the people at the facility are like, have you collapsed the tunnel yet? You were supposed to collapse it. No, you were supposed to collapse it. Oh, no, was there a power <laughs> failure? Yeah. Until so they're, like, scrambling to collapse the tunnel so these people don't escape. By the way, um, I just wanted to say I really fucking like this because this is a brilliant like meta subversion on the there. <laughs> well well listen i think it's a brilliant meta subversion because like as an audience you think like oh shit this like purely orchestrated thing has like a hole in it like they might get out yeah. like it, it's a really interesting way to like keep the audience yeah, invested because it is the first time where you think oh it might not like, they might not all die. Like, it might not all go according to plan. Yeah, like, you know in your heart that they're not going to fucking make it. But, like, it gives you that, like, glimmer of investment. Yeah. Which I think is interesting. Yeah, and also Holden and Dana, as they're leaving, they're like, this is all staged. He was right. Because uh, earlier, the pothead Marty said something like, why are we not us right now? Yeah. And they were like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and he's like, but then she's like, yeah, we are not us. Like, I don't act like this. You don't act like this. Yeah. Like, um... <laughs> oh, and Dana says, like, yeah, come to think of it, he doesn't even have a cousin. And that was the whole, oh. <laughs> that was the whole, like, setup. The the whole, like, premise of this is that the jock has a cousin who has a cabin, and that's, yeah. like, why they're up there. But she realizes in this RV ride, or, like, shortly after, that, like, oh, he doesn't have a cousin. <laughs> so... So they're racing along the highway, uh, trying to escape, and they don't know that they're, you know... They're racing against the clock, but they are racing against the clock because the people at the facility are, like, scrambling to collapse the um, tunnel. Mm -hmm. They get all the way to the tunnel and, like, maybe a third of the way into it, and finally the people at the facility are able to collapse the tunnel, and it collapses in front of them, so they have to reverse out of the tunnel, and they're like, how do we get the fuck out of here? And so Jock warrior man chris hemsworth <laughs> gets out and he's like i'm gonna save the fucking day he pulls his dirt bike out of the rv because it was in there for some reason this is such a dude bro move oh and he's still like it's <laughs> so dramatic and he's like i'll do anything to get over there i'll wimp away but i'm coming back i will save you i'm coming back with cops and guns and copters that's what yeah. he said <laughs> <laughs> yeah and like he gets on his dirt bike and he drives like a far away from the ledge because he's gonna get like some speed and build up so he can do a big 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 dick energy jump like he's yeah. gonna go all the way across this like little crevice and we know something that he doesn't because we saw this scene earlier in the movie where the little bird flew into the invisible force field and just got splatted yep so we know he's gonna die and it's so dramatic, and there's so much buildup, and it's just like, I'm just like, I'm like watching like through one eye, because I'm like about to cringe, because I know it's going to look so painful. I really, like, I thought the joke was just going to be that he wouldn't even make it, but he, uh, but he gets enough air, somehow. Yeah, he would have made it. He would have, and then he hits the barrier, and he like collides with it like eight times on the way down. Yeah, like a, like a bird who flew into a glass door. Like, it's so, <laughs> it's so, like, it's not really graphic, but it's just like that kind of, like, body horror, like, nails on a chalkboard. Like, it gave me the shivers. I didn't like it. Yeah. And um, so he's dead. <laughs> and Dana's like, what the fuck? 
fuck? Oh, we gotta get out of here. So they jump back in the RV and they're like racing along the highway, kind of like back towards the cabin. Well, they, they decided like, okay, we're just gonna drive into the forest until we can't, and yeah, then we're gonna go on foot. They drive to the cabin though because they, when they get back, um, as they're driving, uh, apparently there was a zombie in the RV. I don't know how nobody fucking noticed that. <laughs> but uh, the zombie in the RV kills Softboy Scholar, love interest dude. Right. And so it's just Dana. She's the only one left. And like uh, she gets back to like the cabin. Well, well, hold on. You They uh, they like fell into a lake and she swam out. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, she, she fell into the lake and the only reason I remember that is because uh, the other guy, Nate Fisher's buddy, was like, this would have been cooler with the merman. Oh, yeah. But, like, he was disappointed. He's still, he's still obsessed with the merman. Yeah. Um, also, they were like, yeah, uh, she can get out. It's fine. Um, the the virgin can survive or die. It the virgin matter. is optional. Yeah. Is exactly it's, it's okay. what they said. So they're like <laughs> popping champagne bottles. They're like, we did it. Yay. Oh, yeah. This is a very dark part of the movie oh, yes i haven't even got to it yet <laughs> yeah. so she's in the lake and she gets out i was i couldn't remember how she got back to that dock but apparently she swims back to the dock yeah she swims up and it's out. by that the lake house that they yeah. were in right yeah so she swims up on the dock and she's like gasping for a life and she's like laying there and like it would be the end of the movie i think if it were an actual horror movie mm-hmm. um but she's laying there and everybody in the facilities popping bottles and we're in the facility we're not with her but we could see her on one of the monitors behind everybody. It's like a... Maybe it takes up like a quarter of the screen. Yeah, every every camera is now focused on them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but we could see her in the background just sort of like limply laying on this dock. And a uh, zombie comes out of the woods and fucking start, picks her up and starts like slamming her body down. <laughs> and just like choking her out and stabbing her and like... Yeah, it's slow and painful and brutal. Yeah, and, and like... he's just like mauling her. You see her coughing up blood, blood. at one point. Ugh. Yeah. It's so bad. And then, like, suddenly this red phone on the wall rings. <laughs> and everybody in the facility, like, all the little government workers, like, they look like government workers, they all get really quiet. <laughs> Turn the fucking music off. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and you know what that reminded me of? What? Did you know, and this is a little bit macabre, so I'm sorry, I guess, whenever somebody's executed, mm-hmm. there's a phone like that on the wall in the execution chamber. Just in case they get a pardon from like the governor at the last second. Nice. Um, I just and like it never rings, but <laughs> <laughs> it's there. Yeah, it's there. Last one, last ray of hope as you slowly get injected with poison and die. Okay. Anyway, um, so it rings and who knows who's on the other line? The director, right? That's who's on the other yeah. end of the line. The director. So sh- whoever the director is is like. You guys aren't finished. You have not succeeded. They're like, what are you talking about? The virgin's the only one left. And like, look, she's probably going to die too. And she's like, no, the virgin's not the only one left. And so then it cuts back to her, like, being fucking mauled to death by this zombie. (laughs) And uh, somebody comes up from behind the zombie and whacks it over the head with something. And it's (laughs) it's the fool. It's the pothead. And he's got his fake uh, mug bong and he killed the zombie or knocked the zombie off with it. And uh, they run off. Mm-hmm. So, not every... And I knew. I knew it wasn't the end of the movie because I was like, we've only been watching this for like an hour. Yeah, I tried to I tried to like get you. I was like, and that's it. I was like, yeah. no, <laughs> it's too short. <laughs> um, anyway, so the celebrations, you know, we like I said, they're interrupted and all that. Um, but Dana and Marty take off running because they obviously can't kill the zombies because like, 
you can kind of kill them, but, like, it's too hard. Like, they just don't want to die. He, they're running through the woods, and the pothead uh, <laughs> finds, like, it looks like a little, um, have you ever been in an underground cellar before? Yeah. It's like those those doors that are, like, kind of slanted into the ground. He, he opens that up, and he, like, says, come on, come on down here. I found this thing. And it's, like, an entrance to this bunker that we keep seeing these scientists in, right? Mm-hmm. And there's an elevator and he's like, it doesn't have any controls on the inside, but I opened this control panel, and I think I figured out how to make it go down. So if you hop down in it, I'll turn it on and make it go down, and I'll hop down in it with you, and we'll both go down. Like, there's no way out. Um, this is our best chance. So they go down in this elevator, and, like, in the elevator, there's, like, zombie parts, but whatever. But this is one of my actual favorite scenes in the movie. Me too. Because it's so, like, visually pleasing. It's like a, it reminds me of the elevator from Charlie the Chocolate, Chocolate Factory because it's <laughs> all glass and it goes every direction. Like it doesn't right. just go up and down. And like as it's sliding along, they keep seeing all these like weird ass monsters pressed up the different sides of the glass. And it's like you realize that these are the monsters that could have killed them if they had picked the right things in the cellar slash basement. Yeah. So like you see. You see, like, the creature that would have been, like, summoned if they had solved the evil puzzle. Yeah, he um, he, he sort of looks like Pinhead, but he's got gears instead of needles. Uh, yeah, they're, they're not gears. They're um, saw blades. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's got saw blades embedded in his head. So, I, And he has, like, just kind of the same look as Pinhead. Yeah, he's, like, very calm, and he just, Wait, like, stares at is them. Is it called Pinhead or Hellraiser? I don't know. I think it's interchangeable. The movies are hard. I don't know. Anyway, he looks like him. Uh, He could be him. You see all these other (laughs) creatures. And then they get to the bottom and the doors open like it's just a regular elevator. And uh, there's a a guard there who's like, I got him. I got him. And uh, the zombie hand like somehow kills the guard. I don't know. I don't (laughs) remember. Um, Before we before we keep going, I just wanted to talk about like all the all the monsters we saw in the elevator. Yeah. It reminded me of a board game, which is called a Betrayal of the Betrayal of the House on the Hill. You ever heard of that? Nope. Okay, so it's a really cool board game, and I think you dig it. So basically, uh, there are these tiles, and each tile is like a room in this mansion that you and your friends are exploring, right? Mm-hmm. So you're trying to like flesh out this mansion, and you want to explore because you'll find like useful items and things like that. Um, but there's a caveat where, like, the more you explore, the more likely it is that you're going to find what's called an omen. There's, like, mechanics that make it, like, the further along you play, the more likely it is that an omen's going to be spawned. And omens are determined by, like, where you found it and what the item is. Mm-hmm. So, like, for example, there'll be, like, a cross in the library or something. And then there's this big-ass booklet that comes with the, with the thing. Mm-hmm. And the player who uh, activated it... This is why it's called the trail at House on the Hill. Mm-hmm. They become the bad guy, and they have, like, their own instructions and, like, what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And all the other people are, like, they're in the dark with what they're trying to do. They just know that they either need to escape or kill that person. Mm-hmm. So, but the reason I really like that game is because um, there are, like, dozens of different ways it could have gone. And that's what this movie makes me think of. Like, when I see all these monsters, I just think, like, oh, this is such good sequel bait. Well, oh, it yeah, would have been. That's what I was thinking, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, I was like, where's the merman? Where's the merman? Where's yeah. the merman? Because, like, Bradley Whitford's character, he just seems so disappointed that the mermaid wasn't picked. And he kept talking about it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it just made me think of that board game, which I thought was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. 
they're cornered by security personnel whenever the elevator doors open. Um, but uh, the security guy gets killed by the like zombie parts that are in there. I can't remember how that even happens. Like what the logistics of it just are. Just the the arm grabs his ankle okay. and then he like freaks out just enough for them to like subdue yeah. him. Okay, yeah. so they run and then they get cornered in this little area that's like a control panel. And there's a big giant red button on the control panel that says purge. <laughs> yeah. Which. I don't um, know, like, how effective that would have been to just have that out. Like, I was like, what possible scenario could there even possibly be a need for this button that is going to, when they push it, release every terrible creature that they saw? Mm-hmm. Like, what need is there? What possible scenario? <laughs> like, oh, the building's on fire. Oh, better save the demons. Like,. <laughs> yeah so you know they they push it because they're like well i mean i guess that's better than literally nothing yeah like yeah. we don't have it's the only chance we have we're gonna die so <laughs> uh, and one thing i did think it was funny is one of the like elevators like they all have all these demonic creatures and like horror movie trope like characters in them um but one of the one of the elevators has people that look like the people from the movie purge <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> they get released which i think is hilarious i remember that they have like they have like asian masks yeah or something. I, can't, like, I can't remember what they're called those masks have a specific mm-hmm. name yeah they were white with like pink blushes yeah yeah um so when this chaos erupts dana and marty they, they flee and they flee i don't know if there's anything that happens in this area the synopsis that i have written down is fairly like bullet pointy um but they get to the temple so mm-hmm. is there anything in between there that you want to mention I mean, not really. You just see all the people in the facility get their, like, shit handed to them. Oh, there is one thing. <laughs> what? So they're all running away and everything, um, and all the people in the facility are getting, like, murdered the shit out of. Yeah. Um, and... and some of them are, like, a lot worse than just, like, oh, you got dismembered. Like, like yeah. some of them get their soul sucked out. Yeah. And, like, yeah. Because there's also ghosts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, guns can only do so much. <laughs> so. Um, but one thing I did want to say is... Uh, the main like government guy, the one that's played by Bradley Whitford and Nathaniel Fisher, they're left alone, right? I love and, how that's just what we call. Them. I don't know their names in the movie. It's not relevant. I'm okay. sorry. I know. Uh, but we'll just call them the orchestrators, I guess. I don't know. Uh, Bradley <laughs> Whitford, who is obsessed with the merman, <laughs> ends up getting killed by the merman, which yep. is hilarious. And he's just like, "Oh, you're kidding me! You gotta be kidding me!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then Nathaniel Fisher. He escapes through a hatch and goes down into, like, this tunnel. And you think that he's going to escape. And he comes around the corner and he runs smack dab into Dana and uh, Marty. And Dana... Yeah, you called him Wade earlier. His oh, name is Marty. my bad. Um, Dana stabs him just because they come around the corner and she's like, Oh, sorry. <laughs> like... <laughs> and he turns to uh, Dana and she's, he's like, You have to kill him. Like, you have to kill the fool. Like, <laughs> everything is going to, like... Listen, he needs to die. He has I'm to sorry. die. The world is going to end. <laughs> he doesn't say that. But he, he implies it. <laughs> yeah. And so he, like, slowly dies. And then Marty and Dana keep running, and they find the temple. Um, and the temple, I, I really like it because it looks so shitty. Like, <laughs> it's like a cave, mm-hmm. clearly made out of, like, it I is, don't know. It's like, this big, like... A cavernous hole with like a giant like sigil 
on the floor. It just looks so, yeah. so fucking cheap and cliche. <laughs> uh, and, and there's these um, figures carved into the stone walls. Yeah. That represent each of the uh, horror archetype characters. So, like, there's the one that's the whore, the fool, the jock, the scholar. Did mm-hmm. I missing somebody? Um, the virgin. The virgin. Um, they, yeah. I wrote down that they look like uh, line art clip art from, like, the early 2000s. They like, do. A little so, bit. It's just so, like, we big no effort but like kind of on purpose I don't yeah know. like like the horror is just like a stick figure with big boobs yeah like <laughs> and like this movie is satire but it's not like ridiculous goofy overly like high camp satire like the scary movies are you know like scary movie one mm-hmm. you know what movies i'm talking about yeah. right yeah. it's not like that it's more like quote-unquote intellectual satire i guess i don't know so it's not it's not like so silly that it looks like like cardboard. It looks like a, a temple. It looks like a cave or whatever. But there's not a whole lot of artistic like endeavor yeah. here. And you can see like underneath, and it's just like it's hell. Yeah. As far as you can tell, like yeah. it, it, it's just like fire. Yeah. There's like a, a a moat of a big gap between the wall and the part they're standing on, and like you look down, and it's just like an endless pit of fire right yeah. so sigourney weaver is down there she's the director <laughs> yeah she pops in and she's like like i saw her and i was like sigourney fucking weaver what why is she in this <laughs> why not i'm sigourney because weaver. she's a badass why is she in this dinky weird movie <laughs> nobody else is relevant in this movie i'm sorry not at this point in time not yeah, in 2011 not chris hemsworth like he gets his comeuppance pretty soon, <laughs> but, yeah. So, Sigourney Weaver's there, and she's just being, like, I can't even remember, like, any of the dialogue or anything. It's not okay, very so, memorable. So, basically, she's just explaining, like, what we already know. Like, this is all destiny. This is all part of a ritual. This is, like, something that has to happen, and it must happen in a very particular way. Right. And they they just keep calling them the ancient ones. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't <laughs> die in a very particular way and complete the ritual... The Ancient Ones will rise and destroy humanity. Right, so she convinces uh, Dana that she needs to kill, uh, what's his name, the fool? Marty. Marty. She's like, you have to kill him or the world is going to end. Yeah, so um, she, she, she thinks about it. She puts the gun up to his head and then something happens. I think like one of the monsters happens to get down there and like kind of yeah, interrupts it. Yeah, it's a werewolf. It. So... Dana's like so dramatic she pulls the gun out and she's like pointing directly at Marty's forehead she's like I'm so sorry it's the world Marty I'm sorry he goes (laughs) he goes I'm sorry too and he like pushes her because there's a werewolf behind her yeah (laughs) (laughs) and so the werewolf like bites her neck but like doesn't kill her but just like Eh. Right, but Sigourney Weaver's freaking out because like no 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 she can't die first yeah yeah yeah. Sigourney's (laughs) like no 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 but then then one of the the torture family zombies uh, suddenly appears somehow down there and you think that she's headed towards like marty or even dana with her axe but instead she just sidles up to sigourney weaver and like axes her in the head and sigourney weaver just sort of falls off into hell yeah like, that's it and so it's just dana and marty left left at the end and uh she puts the gun down she's like oh my god i'm so sorry i was about to kill you i don't know what i was thinking and he's like yeah i'm sorry i was gonna let you get eaten by a werewolf like uh <laughs> and she's like but shit happens and she's like are we really okay with like just letting the world die like he goes i don't know i don't because maybe it deserves to die maybe if this is the fucked up shit that has to happen for humanity to survive it doesn't deserve to survive mm-hmm. and like so that was actually interesting to me 
because I have a fairly nihilist view of the world. Um, I'm not, like, negative about it, like, but I do think that nothing we do matters. In 200 years, nobody is going to know who I am. Nobody's going to know who you are. Even our family aren't going to know us, like, in 200 years, like, our descendants. Unless we write something really baller. Like William Shakespeare. Yeah, but, but even then. But mostly, or, and like, and then you look at the grander scheme of things, and then like a couple, you know, thousand years, the earth may not be here. Like, I just, nothing matters in my head. Right. And part of me kind of agrees with Marty. Like, we live in a world where, in order for it to function the way that it's currently functioning, bad things are happening you know like we're destroying the rainforest we're exploiting people in countries like india and like other countries like things are it's reminds me of a good place how like you cannot do anything in the society we live in that does not have a negative impact on the world maybe we shouldn't be here there's a sandwich that if you eat it it means you hate gay people <laughs> was that in the good place yes. that line? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know. Yeah, and so I'm like, I kind of agree with Marty. Like, let the world burn. Like, mm-hmm. we are ultimately don't matter. Um, and so they just sort of, like, hold hands and... And they just sort of uh, let it go. Because, like, once, uh, once like, daylight appears, uh, it's too late. So yeah. the ritual hasn't been met. Yeah, so once it's the next day, essentially, uh, everything starts to rumble. And this huge, like, titan hand, like, shoots up out of the ground and, like, just covers the whole screen. And that's, like, the end of the movie. Yeah, it, it comes out of the ground and, like, crushes the house, the cabin, yeah. in its hand on its way up. And then it smacks the camera and that's it. Yeah. And, like, I like that ending. I, I like think it. it's pretty good. I also like the fact that they're like, hey, sequels? Fuck that. There's no sequels. That's what I think um, Marty was really saying, fuck that, too. <laughs> sequels? Yeah. Oh, my God. What is the commentary? <laughs> it See was. That? Oh, my God. That could have gone on forever. Mm-hmm. That could have been endless sequels. Here's another thing, too. Um, and this is sort of what I took from the ending. So they kept talking about, like, these ancient ones and how, like, this government facility, like, serves to please, right? Mm-hmm. And the customer is always right. Right. And I was thinking about how, when I was first watching this movie, and you too, a little bit, I could tell by your reactions, you were thinking that this movie was sort of like, oh, it's a, a horror movie where they make horror movies, kind of. Yes. You, you know, and I thought, what if we're the ancient ones? Yeah, yeah. What if the audience is the ancient ones? Like, what because... if every movie we've ever watched had characters that existed on some plane of existence? <laughs> I mean, maybe. But I think it's interesting that there's this implication that, like, the audience would be upset if you it bucked what? these trends. It's like, oh, man, they really are, like, a this movie's a little bit master self master like like yeah, they're mean, like hey I mean, hey you know who the ancient ones are you know who's gonna destroy the world it's you audiences because you don't know what's good i mean <laughs> perhaps but i think like that's just something that you're gonna have to deal with if you want to subvert tropes like this like I if guess. you if you want to do it and like have a commentary like I'm sorry, there's no way to not masturbate a little bit. a little self-congratulatory laugh A little self-congrats wank. It's fine. (laughs) All right, so I think we pretty much covered it. Um, What is your review? Okay, so the movie was goofy, and I did like it. It wasn't, like, over-the-top goofy, though, which I don't like. I don't like scary movies. One, two, three, seven, twelve, whatever. I don't like those movies. Uh Uh-huh. Um, but I did like this one, uh, and not gonna lie, I was a little bit worried when I saw that Joss Whedon was like so heavily involved with it. I thought there would be some problematic portrayals of women, 
I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but it has problems and it did not age well in a lot of regards. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really thought maybe he was gonna. But the thing is, he's working with character tropes, so it's almost like he has a pass because he can't really fuck that up. Because he, she's supposed to be a blonde bimbo who does stupid things, and like she's supposed to get punished for sex because it's a horror movie trope. Whereas he's not like genuinely punishing a character for having sex, which he has done in other pieces of media. Um. So anyway. It kind of, like, avoids all that. And by the way, I hated Firefly. Like, I know people are going to be upset when they hear that, if anyone (laughs) listens to this. But I watched all of Firefly, and I just kept thinking, the main character is an asshole. He constantly says misogynistic shit to women, especially the woman that's, like, his love interest or whatever. I kind of forgot that was a Joss Whedon thing. Yeah, it's not good. Oops. I hate Firefly. Anyway, um, so, but I really liked this movie. I really enjoyed trying to use my minimal knowledge of horror movie tropes to figure out who was going to die next. It was like <laughs> a game to me. So I like that. So it was a fun watch. I give it an 8 out of 10. It does move really fast and um, like just zoops, zooms through a lot of plot points. Uh, so I guess that's the only reason it doesn't get like a 10 out of 10 because it just feels really rushed. Um, it doesn't surprise me that they wrote it in three days. So yeah, yeah 8 out of 10. Okay. Well, for me, uh, I think that this movie only gets better on a rewatch for obvious reasons because, like, you kind of know the setup, so mm-hmm. you're, you're more, like, attuned to, like, what's going on at the I, beginning. Did, did I, do you think that mm-hmm. there's anything in it that you watched a second time that maybe I didn't even catch? Mm, I, I guess not. Like, I remember when I watched it the first time, I didn't really pick up on this idea that, like, uh, people weren't acting how they were supposed to be acting. Mm-hmm. Like, my first whiff of that on my first watch was... When he was like, we should stay together. And then they pumped oh. pheromones in. <laughs> he was like, actually, that. never mind. Oh, actually, I think maybe we should split up. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. I, I appreciated a lot more of, like, the subtlety mm-hmm. to the to the negging. Um, <laughs> I thought it was a cool nod to horror films when I first saw it. Uh, but having watched a lot more of them now, I really appreciate what it is. Like, mm-hmm. like I, I notice a lot more of the gags. Also... Like, the kill order. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah like, I don't know, you don't... You probably haven't watched a ton of horror movies, I'd say, but, like, it really makes you appreciate the ones that are actually good. And mm-hmm. it doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Um, like I said before, I think that we are the ancient ones, in a way. <laughs> um, we have an expectations for how these things are supposed to go. And when horror movies don't get that right, it's disappointing. Yeah. You know, but I don't think that that's the case here. I think it does a good job subverting expectations. And maybe it's a little masturbatory, but (laughs) when you have an idea this good, I get it, Joss. It's fine. That's a weird first name. Anyway, I'm going to give that an 8 out of 10 as well. Okay, 8 out of 10s all across the board. 8 out of 10s. If I had to pick a Joss that I liked, I think I'd pick Joss Stone, the singer, over Joss Whedon. But anyway. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Make sure to rate and review on your preferred streaming method of choice. We have a Twitter that you could follow us at for updates. Oh, I forgot to live tweet this movie. Yeah. Cool. Next time. We'll get in. (laughs) We're just starting, so maybe we'll figure it out. Um, At 51st Films, Twitter, uh, Gmail, 
at 50 or 51st films at gmail.com yeah number 50 so five zero uh please send us an email we want we want to read something we haven't gotten any emails yet <laughs> that's anyway. fine that's fine i mean do it if you do if you want to don't do it if you don't want to hey, but... like like emails don't have to be like gushy like yeah if you thought if you thought we missed something or got something wrong or if i literally said something wrong like in the last episode i said julian anderson when i met gillian flynn I knew that. I knew it as soon as I said it, Stephen. You didn't correct it. I couldn't backtrack. (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for listening once again. Uh, Bye. Bye.